Hello and welcome to the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojayinka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Aziz Garuba. Aziz is a dynamic finance and management consulting professional with over 12 years of experience driving change and delivering improvement to business performance. He has a knack for challenging status quo and taking productivity to the next level. A confident leader and mentor, Aziz is known for having an exceptional focus on finding gaps, developing and implementing action steps to achieve desired results. His professional and community work earned him a 2019 CPA Ontario Emerging Leaders Award. Aziz worked as a management consultant with a big four consulting firm, where he led performance improvement and digital finance transformation engagement for clients across various industries, including financial services, mining, retail, and technology. A diversity and inclusion advocate, Aziz is active in the community and a former president and member of the Canadian Association of Auburn Financial Professionals from 2017 to 2018, and now chairs the organization's corporate advisory board. He's also the host of the podcast, Made to Lead. Aziz is currently a director of cost transformation finance at RBC Capital Market, where he leads a team focused on delivering greater transparency on expenses to business leaders in the capital market business. Aziz holds a Bachelor of Commerce in Accounting and Finance from the Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa and an MBA from the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. He's a Chartered Professional Accountant and a Certified Fraud Examiner. Please help me in welcoming Aziz Garuba. I'm so excited to have you on the show, Aziz. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, much appreciated. You're welcome. You are a big advocate for diversity and inclusion. Um, I've seen your work on different platforms, including LinkedIn. Can you tell us what ignited your passion for this? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I guess it was more of, um, I guess it, it, it got triggered mainly because of, you know, when I moved to Toronto and started working in, in on Bay Street and finance, I began to notice the, I guess, the color of my own skin, if you will. And um, there weren't too many uh, folks like me in in the space that I was in, and I think it was about you know eight months into living in Toronto, and I think Toronto has a lot more black people, and I guess I sort sort of uh, started started to see a lot more of them. Um, so I, uh, I I grew up mainly in, in Ottawa when I when we moved to Canada. I moved to Canada when I was about fourteen. So it, going through finishing high school, university, starting my first job, I didn't really pay much attention to to those things until I came to Toronto, and then it's like, oh my goodness, there's a sea of black people here. Then I got introduced to to CAUFP. I came, I, you know, I attended one of their events, and again saw a whole bunch of of black professionals, and you know that was really really inspiring. So you know, joined the organization and and started to think about their 
their own mission and focusing on advancing black professionals on Bay Street, particularly in finance. And, and, and I started to think about, you know, how I could contribute to that space. And so uh, over the last few years, I've really, really honed a focus around trying to enhance number of black professionals in my industry and doing whatever I can to mentor folks and also push a diversity agenda within, within the organizations that I'm at. Uh, so I've sat on uh, RBC CFO Diversity Leadership Council. When I was at EY, I was on the EY Black Professionals Network. Uh, championing to get more Black professionals into the firm and just looking at it, not just from a uh, hiring perspective, but from the whole end-to-end process, right? Because, uh, yeah, the company might want to hire folks, but if they aren't there in the spaces to begin with, then that's a challenge, right? So it's going back as far as, you know, looking at students and underst- and mentoring students so that they are um, confident enough to actually get into the programs that are necessary to then get them into companies like e or RBC or any bank on Bay Street. Because yeah, if you fix the supply, then you know you can build a better pipeline from a, a diversity lens. So that, that's that's how that has, has sort of played for me over the last few years. Wow. Thank you so much for all you do for the community. Now let's go back to the beginning. You mentioned that you moved to Canada at the age of 14. Can you tell us what's led to you moving to Canada and how that has turned you to be who you are today. Yeah, so, um, so my dad was posted here for, for work. And so it was one of those things where, you know, got home one day, um, you know, back in Nigeria. And um, yeah, you know, dad tells us that, okay, by the end of the school term, we'll, we'll be moving countries. Um, and this is the country that we're going to. And I kind of heard of Canada before. Uh, but knew nothing about the place. Never been here before. So yeah, so you know, at the end of, of the school, at that particular academic year, uh, we moved, landed here in August of, um, of 1999 uh, and began a whole new life in this country. So um, it was, there was the obvious culture shock, um, mainly because, you know, yeah, I had traveled, you know, many places Prior to this, uh, you know, spent some time in, in the in the UK and in, in the US, but never fully lived in North America. And Canada was just so far, you know. And then having to deal with winters, uh, which I'd never seen before, you know, I'd never seen snow in my life. And you know, as I think moving as a kid, it's, there's there's a lot of curiosity, and you know, you're exploring this whole new world, and um, with almost no guidance because you know none of my family had been to Canada before, right? So there wasn't like, oh, you know, there were folks ahead of us that could provide some guidance and whatnot, no cousins around, you know, to show you the way and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was quite interesting. And, and yeah, there were definitely challenges, right? Just sort of fitting in and trying to figure out, you know, where I belonged and effectively going through a, an identity, my identity was because I'm now in school with, uh, you know, in the, in the, I went off to university and equally the same thing, right? Very few black people there. But again, I wasn't paying attention to much of those mainly because, you know, the way we were raised back home uh, in, in my, in my family specifically, you know, we were raised to be very, you know, global in our thinking, global as citizens and global in our focus. Um, so it wasn't difficult to understand the environment that we were in from uh, an intellectual or academic perspective. Uh, but it was more of the nuanced stuff like, oh, you know, I don't actually know how um, sarcasm works here or the jokes that people tell. <laughs> 
you know, I don't get them, right? So yeah. sometimes, you know, I, I became probably very socially awkward, right, after a while. And, and I think it wasn't until university that, you know, maybe second or third year in university where things started to, to kind of fall in place. Um, you know, I, I started to find myself, understand what I was uh, good at, what I was interested in uh, as a person, you know, making very good lifelong friends as well. And um, yeah, you know, just getting, I think, discovering also my leadership uh, potential, you know. Um, so I, I, I ran for student council for a faculty uh, for the VP of VP finance role, got that, and then the following year became president, um, you know, so, so did a lot of stuff, participated in a lot of activities. Um, and, you know, then moved on to the, work, the workforce, right? So I started my first job with the government of Canada uh, after finishing my undergrad in accounting and finance. And that was, uh, that was also a different world because like, okay, now I'm working with big, you know, with adults. Mm-hmm. you know, in, in this country. And it's like, I've never done that before. I mean, I had jobs in, in, in undergrad, but they were, you know, your seasonal jobs, your, you know, the things that you do in the summer and then uh, like the summer internships and then, you know, the, the retail roles that you'd get during the school year, but like a proper full-on environment now where this is my life, that was, that was different. Through that space, I realized, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a very dynamic individual, very curious. I think what I discovered now, or what I understand now in terms of how I was when I was a kid and, you know, moving on to through undergrad and whatnot was, I wasn't very focused, right? I wouldn't say I wasn't focused, but I was easily distracted, you know? Um, and, you know, when you're, as a Nigerian, you know, when you're growing up in Nigeria, that's who you are, right? You know, <laughs> your parents don't believe that that's a normal be- way of behaving, right? When you're, you know, you're easily distracted, you're curious, and, you know, because of that, even though you're intelligent, right, it doesn't translate sometimes in the best ways because your mind is just jumping all over the place, um, which I think, you know, if I went for some kind of clinical examination, they would have said, oh, yeah, he's got some, you know, attention deficit disorder or something like that. Uh, but not in a negative way, but in the sense that, okay, this is how you need to structure things just so that it will work well. So, you know, when I, I started my career, right, again, that curiosity and it wasn't a dynamic kind of job where I'm like, okay, you know, things are changing rapidly. A couple of years ago, I was like, yeah, no, this is not the place that I want to spend the rest of my life and decided to, to enroll in an MBA program because I was like, okay, I need to switch careers. I need to figure out uh, a way to do that. And, and the MBA was the option, was the only option for me at the time um, because I wanted to transition industries entirely. Like I wanted to get out of government. Um, and yeah, so I, I enrolled, um, applied and, and got into the Queen's uh, MBA program. Uh, went through that for a year a bit, you know, while working full time because it was an accelerated uh, full time program. So you do it while you're working. Uh, so which is intense. And, you know, it um, it made me confident in my abilities because I was I did well in the program, you know, much better than I did in undergrad. Um, you know, and, and I think for me, that gave me a whole lot more confidence that, oh, yeah, you know, I'm capable academically. And, and that allows me to, you know, that, that made me uh, believe that I could do anything else, right? Um, and so I used that opportunity to, to start looking for new roles and new jobs. And, um, and then, yeah, landed in at RBC. And, and that was sort of, I think, the, the beginning of uh, where my career has gotten to at this point. You know, I, I put energy and effort into my first six months at, at the bank, I'm starting afresh. Like I'm starting at the bottom of a different ladder uh, because I need 
you know, and I, and I switched ladders, i.e. moving from, you know, working at the government for a certain number of years and getting to a certain level. I was like, I'm down at the bottom again of a different ladder. So I need to learn so I can move up uh, as quickly as possible. Um, and yeah, so that was, um, that was my motivation. Did that, was diligent in, in, in paying attention, you know, asked a lot of questions in terms of, you know, working with my bosses at the time. Uh, and I had a very good boss, first boss at RBC, and, and we're very, very good friends, uh, you know, to this point, a good mentor for me at, uh, at the bank. And, you know, I think he was very instrumental in, in my quick integration into the industry. And, and yeah, you know, so through all of that, I was able to then sort of strategically think about, you know, what I wanted for the rest of my career, uh, the roles that I took while I was at RBC, and even when I decided to step out and go to consulting, uh, it was all strategic as well because I, I wanted to to learn very specific things at a very specific time and then combine all of that in order to do some some good some good work, um, and that's that's kind of how I found myself or how I've gotten to this point. Thank you so much for taking us through that journey. Um, you mentioned some things that were very important um, in what you said earlier. You said that when you came to Canada, you didn't have people that could support you in your transition. Did you experience any discrimination? Uh, for me, in terms of like the, the settling in was more about not having anyone here that could give some guidance to, oh, this is how you relate or this is what the Canadian system is all about. You know, like, oh, here, if, if you need to get a job, this is how you're supposed to go about doing it. So I had to learn all of those things myself. I discovered all of those things myself, you know, and and because of that, I was then able to to mentor or, uh, others um, so they didn't, wouldn't make the same mistakes or would, wouldn't take them as long as it did me to, to learn and discover certain things. And, and that's how I've uh, sort of managed my life up to this point. Now, of course, things are different. I've got, you know, a, a huge network, a lot of folks everywhere that I can tap into for anything that I need, any question that I have or, or anything that I'm, I'm looking to explore uh, versus, you know, when I first came to this country. Um, you also mentioned that while you were in, in the university now, you took on seasonal jobs and summer internships. Do you think that is really important or that helped you to navigate your career to some degree? Yes, I would say though it is very critical to, to do those. Um, and especially for a lot of um, international students that, you know, come from African countries or the Caribbean or, so, or anywhere else. Um, you know, in our, in our country, we don't, you don't think of, like how, how many people actually do summer internships right while they are in school um it's one of those things where you're 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 taught to you know we're brought up to focus on the education and leave everything else but in this society right it is absolutely necessary because one of the things that you gain from you know working your summer jobs um is an understanding of how how to to uh, um how to work in a corporate environment um you understand what is necessary what you know, you know, you you translate everything that you're learning in school into real life very, very early, so that you know how best to adjust your education. You can see the real application of what you're learning in school, um, in the stuff that uh, that happens in in the real in the real world. With working in internships, right? What I was able to to do was to one understand what my work style was. Um, understand the gaps in my knowledge and know where I needed to close them when I went back to school. Um, and of course, it allowed me to earn some money, right? Which is great. Um, yeah. Uh, 
you know, at least you can cover your own personal expenses or part of tuition or whatever. And and yeah, that's 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 what I enjoyed. And in terms of career wise, right? Like there's certain jobs that you may get during, you know, your summer internships or or co-ops or whatnot. And that will also make you realize what you don't want to do, you know, and and that's equally important because you don't want to spend time going through an entire program, uh, preparing for a particular type of career and then start it after you've graduated and then you realize, oh, this is really not what I thought it was going to be and this is not what I want to do and what I want to do is really something completely different. Um, so it's best to do, you know, to get those discoveries and epiphanies early on and, and you know, working summer jobs can help you do that. You also mentioned that you got into politics while you were in the university. You contested for a couple of positions and you won. Do you think that your parents played a role? I mean, your upbringing or your association. I think looking back now, what do you think helped you to make those decisions? You know, my, like my parents were always encouraging of anything that I've tried or said I was trying to do. And with student politics, for me... You know, I saw it as a way to um, throw myself into the deep end of uh, getting out of my introverted shyness, right? So I started off first by volunteering as a, a frosh guide, I think in like the beginning of second year. And for me, that was, you know, like I was, I was a shy kid growing up, you know, so it took me a while to make friends, especially in this environment. And when I was uh, when I was starting, you know, undergrad in in, in business school and undergrad, um, you know, I, I realized like, hey, you know, in business, you have to figure out a way to one either be noticed, uh, two, uh, be able to speak and talk and you know be visible uh, in order to get your ideas through, um, and three, you also have to be able to lead, right? So I. I decided that, you know, the student council was the best way for me to do a crash course in all of those. Um, so that, that's why I joined, you know, I, and, and um, I was studying accounting. So the VP finance role made sense. Um, it would allow me to practice, you know, what I was learning in, in my accounting program in a small area of, of very little consequence. And then ultimately went for president, which uh, again, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of, of student politics in any faculty. And that for me was, again, just to enhance that leadership skill. And, and I knew that I wanted to do, like, I did this as well because I was like, okay, you know, school shouldn't be just about the academics, right? Um, a lot of us sometimes think that, oh yeah, you know, put your head down, go through school and, you know, get that education and that's it, right? But you have to be, again, in this society, right? To be a total person, you have to go through a variety of different things, the extracurricular activities, you know, joining student clubs, case competitions. So I did all of those, right? Um, and then student council, of course, is one of those great ones where it's like, yeah, you know, real leadership position, real leadership potential opportunity to to make some changes that can be recognized at, at, a, at a high level, both, you know, from the, the administration and from students as well. Um, so yeah, that was my motivation and, and it helped. And uh, like I said, I wasn't the greatest, you know, student in undergrad from an academic perspective, but by the time I was applying to my MBA program, all of this stuff that I had done was significantly relevant in getting me in, you know, because the, uh, the, the question that I was asked as part of my MBA essay was, do your grades reflect your leadership potential? And my answer was a flat no, you know, uh, and that was what I put on my essay. I was like, no, they don't. 
but here's what actually represents my leadership potential. You know, while others were studying uh, or focused only on school, I was busy learning how to network, right, effectively and meeting some industry leaders by virtue of the fact that I was in, in clubs and, and on the student council, which lended itself, you know, well and working with different people in, in my MBA class. So yeah, that there was, a, I guess there was a purpose or strategy, you know, with, with all of these uh, uh, decisions and, and it's helped uh, shape, shape who I am today. You talked about the importance of volunteering. You talked about the, the power of networking. You talked about the, the power of being honest and being vulnerable. You, you mentioned yeah. that because you wanted to go into another industry, you had to go back to school to do your MBA because you were working with the government and you wanted to pivot your career. How did you get to the point where you made that decision? And what advice would you give to someone in a similar situation? Um, the, the first thing is always to, one, be clear about what you want to do, or actually even be clearer, clearer about what you don't want to do. Because sometimes that, that also helps because, it, 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 you know, you go through a process of elimination, right, to, to get to, to where you really need to be. Uh, for me, what I, I, what I knew what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life right? I didn't want to be a tax auditor or for the rest of my career. But what I wanted to do was, you know, to, to drive change, to, to do strategy, to, to impact and influence all of these things and, and you know, make a business grow uh, or contribute to, to making a business grow. Um, and when I x-rayed what I had at the time, uh, that would allow me to pivot into that kind of space. There wasn't much, right? I only had two years of work experience at the time. Um, I didn't have a designation yet. I didn't have experience in any other industry or any uh, relevant education or that could compensate for the lack of experience. So it was like, yeah, the only other option was, yeah, I got to go to business school and, and get this MBA. And, you know, I, the way I found out about the Queens one was literally, I picked up a newspaper one day heading into the office and lo and behold, there was an ad for an info session for the Queens MBA program that was happening the very next day. Um, and I looked at that, I was like, yeah, this is a light bulb moment. And, you know, I signed up for, for the info session, went the next day, uh, listened to what, what the program was all about, what I could gain. And yeah, you know, the Eureka uh, moment occurred. I was like, this is exactly what I need to make a switch. Now for someone, so for someone else, it, you know, it may not be the MBA, right? It might be literally just, you know, oh, I need to switch, switch industries or I need to get a different role or whatnot, right? So you got to ask yourself again, like where, examine where you are at the moment and why you want to make a change, right? You know, it shouldn't be about, oh, you know, I want to make more money, right? I mean, yeah, that's a great motivation, but you can always make more money in any, in a variety of things, right? But if you're looking to, let's say, switch careers or, or switch industries, again, you've got to be really sure about the why. Uh, when you understand that, when you are clear on it, you'll be able to find the solutions to make the change that you need to make. You'll be able to uh, persevere through a lot of the, the work that's required to make the shift, right? Like for me, you know, it was removing, you know, getting through removing seniority that I had in at the level that I was at the government and going back down to being a, you know, a junior employee at a bank because, you know, I'd gone through the MBA and I'm starting with a rot in a finance rotation program. Like I have to learn this stuff. So, so that was, that was the motivation for me because I, I, and the persevere through all of that. And I was resilient, you know, uh, throughout the whole process. So, yeah, so, so that, that, that would be the advice I'd give, right? Understand your why, understand that where you want to be and understand the things that you don't want to do and then pursue, you know, put your strategy together to get to where you want to get to. Right. Um, 
you mentioned that you were shy before now or yep. are you st- are you still shy i don't think I you are still that, you know i just <laughs> I've just improved greatly. <laughs> okay. That's then you're doing a fantastic job. So how did you break out from the mindset of saying, you know what, this is who I am, but I'm not going to just use this as an excuse for not going for my dream. And so as a result of that, you took on additional challenges. You went outside of your comfort zone and then you got into politics. But then again, you also emphasized on networking. How how have you been able to network effectively even though you have the personality of an introvert yeah that's that's that, yeah that's a good one cuz being being introverted you know you, you you tend to avoid these situations where you've got to engage in like small talk and stuff that is just socially exhausting but again what you know as i mentioned before right i just you know at, at least starting an undergrad i had to just throw myself into the deep end and just <laughs> learn to swim and and i and i developed systems and mechanisms for for myself that worked for me i would attend networking events sometimes where i knew only probably one or two people uh, but i devised a strategy of how to sort of get the most out of that situation so i'd put myself in these group circles where questions are being asked and whatnot and make sure at least i ask one question i'd ensure that when i felt that i'd gotten sufficient info or insights you know exit the room right there was no need for me to stay till the very end of an event and then i slowly just sort of built that and and what i did was also to put myself in places that i was more comfortable in and you know the the beauty of being an introvert is that and and some of the power and skills that we have are that you know we can be the fly on the wall and just listen and absorb things right and when you do that you have you, you gain a lot more knowledge you can understand what people people are saying and even from a leadership perspective right it it makes you a better leader because you're not always thinking about what to say right or you're not always the one saying things but you're listening to what everyone else is saying and then you can make an informed decision and move a team forward that way so yeah so i i also you know just decided to embrace it and use it to my advantage and one of the there was a book that i read um and the book is called quiet the power of introversion by an author named Susan Cain and I read that to really really understand okay how can I leverage my introversion or how can I make it work for me and it was a great book just getting me to feel comfortable with my with that part of my personality and understanding where its strengths lay and its weaknesses of course and how to adjust for them um and how to leverage the strengths to my advantage so that was that was really really awesome at the time you know and I was really really happy to to be able to have done that and and use those skills to to get to where I'm at networking has been key for me I, I, again, I had I did not know what it was before coming to this country, and I practiced it as much as I could, and and that meant you know whenever I had the opportunity to be in a room where I could ask some interesting people some questions, I asked a question, and all sometimes all you need is just to ask one good question, and that's it. Um, so so that's that's how I've uh, been able to just sort of manage that, and I'm a proud introvert, and I embrace that greatly. How has networking helped you in your career since you started doing it actively? Yeah, it has been. Crucial to everything that I have, uh, every career move that I have made, and every opportunity that I've gotten. So I'll give you an example, a couple of examples. So while when I first started at, at the bank at RBC, uh, I was in a fin- I was in a rotation program. So you sort of go through six months in different groups, and I did quite a bit of networking within the first four months, right? So like I leveraged the oper- the fact that I was a new employee in this rotation program and used that to my advantage, right? So I would book coffee meetings with VPs, right, and senior directors uh, leveraging the program to say, hey, you know, I'm part of this program. I'm learning about all of the different areas of the bank. Can we chat about what you do 
in your area? And most actually, yeah, 100% of the time they would all say yes, right? The challenge was then also just finding the time and booking stuff, right? We always have to reschedule, especially when you're meeting with VPs that have busy schedules. Um, And I was an associate at the time, right? So in terms of like the hierarchy, right, there's a huge gap. But uh, that was one way that I got to know people within the uh, within the bank. And then, you know, even preparing for some of the rotations that I wanted to do, right, I reached out to folks, again, saying, hey, I'm interested in, in your space. What would a rotation look like in there? And that's how I set up my UK rotation. Like I called up the finance director there and was like, hey, you know, I'm interested in, in doing an international rotation. You know, what is it like in your space? Would you be willing to, to take me on? And, and that, was, that was how that got created. And then even when I decided to, to leave RBC the first time and then go into to Ernst & Young, I literally emailed a partner at the firm who I had built a relationship with the year, like a year before and had maintained that. I had met him at an event and we connected and, and you know, I just sustained that relationship. So yeah, when I emailed him and I said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm ready to do something different. Are there opportunities within the firm that, that would suit my capabilities and where I'm at? And literally all he asked for was like, yeah, sure. Look, get, send me your resume. I'm meeting with a few partners uh, tomorrow and I'll put this in front of them. And, you know, literally that's, that's exactly how it happened. Like serendipitously, you know, he met with uh, partners in the finance transformation space. He sent my resume through um, and I got a call literally within five days from, from their HR team um, and started a process um, and that was what led to, to me joining Ernst & Young. So all of that, you know, from networking effectively, managing those, those relationships, and it's not networking to say, hey, you know, you meet someone today and you're asking them for a job. That doesn't work all the time and is probably bad practice. But for me, you know, these tactics, my specific networking tactics, which, you know, generally most people engage in, worked. And, and they've, they've helped me immensely to, to, to get my career moving. The, the role I have now, again, because I maintain a network, I just reached out to my old boss, my first boss, and to say, hey, you know, I saw this opportunity. I think it, it's good for me and, and I'd be a good fit. And sure enough, he made a referral. Uh, and again, this, the process started and, and I was able to, to secure, secure the role. So um, it's, it's crucial to have and maintain a really good network. Well, thank you for the practicality of your, of your advice and your story. Some young people may be listening and asking, okay, so are you saying that my life should be all about school, work, networking, volunteering? How did you balance work and social life? Or oh, you didn't have any social life at all <laughs> while you were in university? Yeah, so no, I, um, again, I was I was a shy introverted kid, right? So social life stuff uh, wasn't fully my thing, right? But I'd show up to places where I needed to be, right? In undergrad, I was the guy that showed up late to the party and left early. So for some folks that were there the whole night, they thought I was there the whole night, you know? Uh, but but yeah, you know, I'd I'd make the time for for activities, for parties, and whatnot that I needed to, and 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 also you know to hang out with some friends. But here's the thing: like when when you when you get out of university, that first maybe five six years post undergrad, you know, are crucial in developing and building your foundation, right? Building the base skills that you will need to then leverage uh, to move ahead and move forward. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good to focus on that, right? To think about your career at that point as just a, por- a part of learning. But of course, you need to have balance in some kind of way, right? Um, your life does not revolve around work, nor should it. Uh, sometimes you have to work more hours because that's what the job requires at the time. 
but you should always have an outlet. And for me, I've had many different outlets um, throughout my life, right? Music was an outlet at one point. I used to play the bass guitar in, in, a church, in my church choir. Um, so choir practices were, again, the outlet. Um, I used to produce music at home. So I had my own wow. studio, you know. So again, that, that was like, I, I used creativity as my outlet. So yeah, there's the finance you know, numbers, brain parts. And then there's the other stuff where, you know, it's, it's super creative and producing music or building, uh, tinkering with technology or building websites, which I started doing when I was 15 or 14. Yeah. And then now, right. You know, at a certain point I got into photography. I, you know, I had always kind of been in photography, but then I actually like took it more seriously, started shooting landscapes. And, you know, when I was in the UK, right, just going around doing street photography and then that morphed into, you know, shooting weddings and shooting portraits and baby showers and all of this stuff. Right. While still working. Right. So it's, it's all about balance and you can do it all. If you one make time for what's important in your life and understand that life isn't all about just a couple of things like work or a social life, right. There's more to it. And, and, and that's what I've been able to do. And then of course, now, you know, I've, I'm still, you know, I do photography as well, but you know, I've got this podcast that, that I, that I run still make time for it, right. To, to do the recordings and produce just like what you guys are doing now and, you know, balance it out nicely. And then of course, volunteer with, with CAUFP and a variety of organizations sit on a couple of boards and, and committees. We all have time. We just have to, to make the most of it. And congratulations on your new appointment to the board of Queens university, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What role do you think volunteerism play in the lives of professional is it is it important i'm not like because some people would say i'm not going to be paid for it why should i do it i don't have the time i have a lot of things on my plate i have so many responsibilities i don't have the time for that why should i do it volunteering is great because one depending on where you're volunteering it is an opportunity to give back to society it is an opportunity to also learn certain things free of the challenge or or encumbrance of oh someone is paying me money for something therefore i can't screw up right so volunteering in anything allows you to experiment really right and it also allows you to to figure out where you find fulfillment outside of your your day job right so some people volunteer at churches or they volunteer at food banks or you know, shelters or whatever it is, right? And you do it because, you know, you have a passion or you want to figure out if you have a passion in, in that area. And also it can help you professionally, right? So all of the work that I've done with CAUFP has been phenomenally and, you know, um, advantageous to my profession. You know, it, uh, it has given me visibility outside of work that then translates to visibility inside work. Um, and all through, you know, volunteering for this organization. So yeah, there's, there's benefits to it. And I think it's necessary for people to do that. One, another reason, you know, I, I would suggest it is one, because, you know, when you think about the bubble that you live in, you know, on a daily basis, i.e. your house, work, your close circle of friends, maybe, you know, if you attend church, that, um, you may not get to understand other parts of society if you don't volunteer in certain spaces. Like for me, I didn't know the challenges that Black students faced in high school with issues of being channeled into programs that they were, that were subpar for their academic capabilities, you know? 
And I would not have known that if I hadn't volunteered for this organization, right? Um, if I hadn't put my hand up to do certain things while I was at, at uh, you know, at, at, um, at, uh, at firms, you know, to say, hey, you know, yeah, I can, I can do a workshop with high school kids, right? You know, I'm not getting paid for that, right, as part of my job, but it helps, right? It helps to give a broader perspective and appreciation for everything that goes on in society. You know, you could volunteer for a local political party if you want, if that's your thing, right? Which then allows you to understand, oh, you know, this is how the government in this country runs, right? So for me, you know, I, I believe it is important to do some kind of volunteer work in some space just so that you become a full, well-rounded human being. You know, you understand your, your professional side, you understand your community side, you understand your passions as well, and, and they can all be interconnected um, and, and lead, you know, to greater opportunities down the line. Can you give an example of a time that volunteerism has helped you? Oh, yes. Like, like I said, CAUFP as a whole, right? Uh, being the president of that organization, again, gave me access to people that I would never have met without doing that, you know, senior bank leaders, you know, senior uh, executives across Bay Street, uh, I've been able to interact with. And it has also given me recognition internally at work, right? I've been able to sit on diversity leadership councils and, and diversity groups because of the work, the volunteer work that I've done outside. So I've, now in this age of, you know, in, in with the whole, um, push of Black Lives Matter and, and how that has translated in, or has bled into the corporate space, you know, I'm getting calls for, you know, from folks both within my own company and outside on strategies to enhance Black talent pipeline initiatives, you know, and none of those would have been possible without the work that I did or volunteering for the organization prior to now. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's huge. It's been hugely beneficial. You also mentioned about the power of association, even it wasn't direct, but you talked about that indirectly. How do you choose your close circle of friends and what role do you think the right people play in the lives of individuals? So for me, like I said, like being a shy kid, you know, it was difficult to, to make friends. But what I found was that at a certain point, people started gravitating towards me just because I was myself. Right. And and I think that that's who you have to be to attract the right kind of folks is just to be yourself um, and you attract the right energy. You attract the same energy. You almost attract the same energy that you put out. So if you're negative all the time, negative people will show up to cheer you on, you know? <laughs> and and for me, uh, the energy I was putting out a lot of the time was one of ambition, one of one of growth, one of progress. So the folks around me were operating this in the similar, you know, in similar wavelengths. And in terms of friendships and, and the circle that you keep, you know, it is important to have people that have the same values, right? They don't have to be the same type of human being as you, right? but they have to have similar values. If you value professionalism, then it's good to have folks around you that equally do that. And the reason for that is because one, they can keep you accountable, right? And they can help you with blind spots, right? So if you're going off the rails on an area of professionalism or you're being unprofessional in an area, they can call you out, right? And bring you back in and you can trust that their opinions are valid and and they're being done on your you know with your best interest at heart because you know where the values are coming from and i think it, yeah it's important to one keep your circle tight you can always have different groups of of friends uh that you go for different things right like there are some friends that i will go to for social stuff you know and they're friends that i will go to for investment advice right and i will never go to you know my investment advice friends for social stuff just because they're not 
those kind of people, right? And, and if I want to have a good time, I know who to call, right? Um, uh, so yeah, you know, you balance that and, you know, you, know, you have, have the right people that you reach out to for, for different things, you know, like your, the folks that you reach out to for, you know, spiritual support, right? Versus those that you want to just be your hype person, right? To say, hey, yeah, I want to do this. Can you cheer me on type of situation? Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's critical. It's obvious that you've advanced very well in your career and you've been able to move across different industries. Some of the concern that Black, Indigenous and people of color and also some of the friends that I have that it says, where do I draw the line between drive and being impatient? Because some of them say, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with my manager and my manager say, oh, you're being impatient, but I've been in this role for three years. Yeah. So what's the difference between being driven or being ambitious versus being impatient? Um, that, that, that one is usually very subjective. And I think, like I said, like, I always feel that you should, you should start inwards first, like examine your why and understand that and maybe run that why by, you know, again, your closest, your close knit crew, right? People that will tell you the truth and will give you a good perspective uh, because you may be, you may discover that, yeah, you know, I think I'm being impatient at this point because like, oh, you may think that, oh, you know, I, I deserve to be promoted at this time, mm-hmm. but you might be missing some very critical things that if you were promoted, you might actually fail, you know? Um, and again, that you will only understand that through having honest conversations with people and even having honest conversations with your bosses, right? Or you know, peers or other folks within your organization after doing all of those. And, and if you examine all of those and you've realized that, okay, yes, I do deserve this. I'm not getting it. Uh, you figure out why that's happening. It may be that, Hey, you know, one, there are no roles to promote you into two, someone might actually have a different plan for you than you realize, right? Cause those things do happen, right? You you somehow discover that you're on a high potential list that you didn't know you were on and you're itching to get to something when some, you know, that hypo list has already figure out a plan for where you need to be. And that requires you to probably do a couple lateral moves in different spaces with different challenges than just a straight upward one in the same space. Um, so those are, those are all possibilities, right? But then, you know, you, there are times where, yeah, you deserve everything that you that you want and you're just not getting it, uh, from a company at that point, you need to understand and figure out where your, what your value is and find where, uh, find a place that will one, acknowledge your value and pay you appropriately or give you the opportunity that you deserve. Right. And sometimes that can be hard. Cause like, yeah, you know, you got to leave a company that you maybe have known for a long time. You've been there for a while. And then you now have to go suddenly to a different place with the change and whatnot. But that might be the necessary and only option. I think, you know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible where they say that uh, I think Jesus was not really celebrated in his hometown, in the town of his birth in Nazareth, right? And so he had to leave, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, he knew his worth. And if people weren't going to see that in that place where he spent 30 years of his life, right? Mm-hmm. Um it was time to move on to somewhere else. You know, we all have to be do examine our lives and our careers that that same through that same lens. When it's time to leave or when it's time to move to something else, you know, we shouldn't use sentiment and oh, you know, but I've been here for so long as the excuse to make it to not make a change. The pandemic obviously has disrupted our lives and whatever career aspirations that we may have had. But I'm sure all hope is not lost. How should students, both international and local, and also newcomers, strategically navigate their careers in the midst of this present crisis and uncertainties? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, right? Because we're all in this weird place that we've never been before. So some folks 
have in a certain way, like, you know, I graduated during the financial crisis of 2008 and I have a lot of friends that were in finance, uh, you know, that graduated at the same time. So that was tough to, to get a job, right. To go into an industry, um, you know, for those that wanted to work in banks, right. That, you know, at the time where banks were almost failing, we're in a similar position, except that this is a global pandemic that has also affected the economy and affected roles and jobs, right? You know, if you have lost your job, right, and have to get back into uh, the workplace or trying to find get back, find a way back into the workplace, you know, it's an opportunity to figure out to X-ray your skill set, right? It's an opportunity to figure out what gaps you have to look at what are given the current environment and what that's going to mean for the future of work. Look at what you have right now and see what you need to upgrade so that you are relevant for the future of work, right? So that means that if we're seeing, you know, technology be the area of focus, what can you do now to upgrade yourself so that you can play in that technologically, uh, in that technology world? Doesn't mean that, oh, you know, if you're an accountant, well, not, let's say, it doesn't mean that if you're, let's say, um, a commercial banker, that you all of a sudden go and start learning how to do user experience or user you know, interface design. No, um, you think about how technology is playing a role in your industry, in your world, and understand how that works for you and in terms of, of navigating your, your space and then get the skills that you need. And if you happen to also have a job at the moment, right? You have to still learn, right? You have to still keep your mind active and make yourself relevant for the future. So like in my space right now, um, the key that we're, that finance functions and businesses are going through is, you know, everyone's going through a whole digital transformation, right? I spent the last couple of years in consulting, working on transformation type engagements with clients. And that, of course, has given me the, the right skill set to do what I do now in, in, in capital markets finance from a transformation perspective, right? But, you know, I'm not going to just stop there. I'm going to, of course, continue to learn about how technology can help enhance and transform the space that I'm in and, you know, set that up as my brand, right? As the transformation guy, you know? Um, so everyone needs to know what their brand is. You know, are you the guy that gets called in or the girl that gets called in to fix problems? Or are you the person that gets called in to enhance opportunities? You just sort of figure out how to figure out your lane, figure out your niche, and then make sure that you play in it. All right, and leverage that for you know uh, for your career. What advice would you give to the younger Aziz? Yeah, so for me, I guess it would be um, uh, to take more risk uh, and to travel more. So one of the things that I don't think I did well or at all uh, as a young person was travel, because there's a whole world out there that um, you know you get to explore and you get to see, and that can also shape a perspective, it can shape your thinking about the world, it can shape you know what you believe. And I uh, I would have done that a lot earlier in my life because as you get older it becomes more expensive to do it <laughs> you know? yeah yeah, yeah you, you don't want to stay at like cheap hostels <laughs> you know? um but as like a 21 year old it's not a big deal yeah uh, or even as an 18 19 year old it's not a big deal to do that and and you only need like a carry-on right but now you know, we're, we're big boys and girls and it's like oh a whole suitcase must come with us wherever we go yeah. So, so yeah, I would, I would do that. And then I would also take more risks. Right. And, and I guess that was also a function of my own personality at the time. Right. You know, just uh, 
being shy and more introverted and not really understanding how to leverage that. Um, so you become risk averse, right? You just like, okay, I don't want to do this because one, I don't want to fail and then look bad in front of people. Uh, but sometimes you just got to take a risk and figure out the lesson from it. You know, you learn it and you know, if you succeed, you succeed. If you don't, well, it's something you've learned what not to do, right? So that would be uh, my advice for my younger self. And talking about failure, can you tell us a story about a personal failure or a mistake you made or time you embarrassed yourself? Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are many of those. <laughs> yeah, one of the big ones was, um, I think, a year a year or two after undergrad. I was in Ottawa at the time and had this brilliant idea to start an African restaurant, mainly because there was no African restaurant that was high caliber, right? So I wanted to start a fancy African restaurant. I was 22 or 21. I had no idea about what it took to actually run a restaurant in this country, you know? And yeah, I embarked on this crazy journey with a couple of friends. Um, you know, we put quite a bit of money into, into the idea and it ultimately didn't get off the ground, you know, and we lost a substantial amount of money. And yeah, so that, that was a huge failure for me, like just from a personal perspective, because I was like, I thought I knew what I was doing. And of course, the financial impact was insane. And what I ultimately le learned from that entire experience was, you know, the, the need for effective due diligence um, and also the need to operate in like if you want to be an entrepreneur, right, it's easier to be an entrepreneur in a space that you actually understand and have some type of skill that is relevant. And also making sure you have good partners, right, like business partners that can add real value. Because I don't think that the partners I had at the time or that neither, you know, either of any of us were really clear on what we could bring to this or what we were doing. But, you know, as you go into an entrepreneurial journey and, and want to start something, right, if you have the right partners, you know, it, it makes a difference between, you know, complete failure or and financial ruin or, you know, working on something great. Um, so yeah, so that was a, that was a major one. But since learned from that and uh, I've progressed in life. Now, we've come to the end of it. So thank you so much once again. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at freshstartorb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please go to www.thefreshstartorb.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.